Hey everybody, it's Todd Dills here, back with another edition of Overdrive Radio. This one dropping on Monday, October 25th, for a bit of a change from our usual Friday release. Consider this a bit of a follow-up to Overdrive Executive Editor Alex Lockie's reporting on the intermodal niche, released a week and a half ago. And the system-wide backlogs being experienced all around the container-moving supply chain, particularly evident at the nation's West Coast ports. What we didn't get to in that three-part report was a perspective from among the top volume ports on the East Coast. For that, I reached out to small fleet owner-operator George Berry, working out of the Port of Virginia principally. He's a uniquely qualified source to voice owner-operators' views on just where congestion issues at the ports originate. For years now, he's been a voice in a group called Four Truckers by Truckers on social media, around port and other intermodal drivers' issues. And his small fleet leases with five owner-operators now out of Virginia. Four truckers by truckers continues today, as he puts it. So we're still on track and uh, trying to be more of an informational source now for drivers. So uh, just tell them about you know what is actually happening uh, industry-wide, you know, not just our area. So stretching, stretching our scope making some traction in that area. So. Since the President of the United States raised port issues as a national concern almost two weeks ago, there's been no small amount of finger pointing as to just who's to blame in the days since among supply chain parties. As George Berry tells it, the backlog issue is multifaceted. Folks have to understand, just because that 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 vessel is offloaded and, and that freight comes off, doesn't mean that freight is leaving immediately out of the port. Containers sit for days in stacks that have to be routinely sorted for pickup with complicated machinery, of course, and when ready to go onto a truck. Another issue we're having is what we call the chassis shortage. The chassis is the frame, for those that don't know, that the container sits on uh, when it leaves out the uh, port. That's how we're able to transport it. If the owner-operator is lucky enough to get an open chassis, new pressures bear down upon arrival. Then they have to go to the port and where there may be an extended amount of time there for the machinery to deliver the containers. It's good news for that common problem, even in intermodal work, where quote-unquote free detention time is dwindling at receivers. And commonly low intermodal owner-op revenue levels annually are rising. So typically owner-operators gross in about 100K a year. Okay. Uh, that's owner-operators. Uh, but I think that earning potential has, has risen at least by 50k on top of that right now an easy calculation there would give us a 50 percent increase in earning potential with new demand and relatively shorter supply that's a major positive barry said he hopes continues as it's long overdue drivers really want to make that revenue that, that they duly deserve and have earned over these decades of low wages and before we really dive into it fully with a small fleet owner for a little more of his history Here's a word from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. First Guard provides commercial truck insurance to leased owner-operators done right. As we've done for more than 80 years, we provide physical damage and non-trucking. Many companies make you pay up to six months of insurance premiums up front, but not First Guard. We bill monthly, so you get quality insurance without needing to pay a lot of cash up front. Go to firstguard.com. That's 1-S-T-Guard.com. First Guard, we speak trucker. Let's talk. In 2004, I started off as a uh, company driver for a company called D.D. Jones in this local area, which had been around many, many, many years. 
And uh, that's where I first got my start driving their day cabs, doing some local uh, container drays. And then uh, I purchased my own truck a year and a half later, and I began um, my endeavor as an independent trucker, independent contractor, owner operator, uh, and uh, did that for several years. Um, And then the growing frustration of the congestion at the ports of Virginia led me to establish this organization for truckers by truckers. Uh, to advocate for our poor drivers and uh, also just be a, a voice in the industry um, for change. Uh, so as that uh, progressed, as we, 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 we began to see, when I say we, I mean the staff at the time for truckers by truckers, we began to see the need for maybe consolidating our efforts into a, a, a terminal, becoming a, our own motor carrier. That way we would have more um, control over rates and um, just to learn the ins and outs of the motor carrier side of uh, the table. So uh, me and my then business partner, Brandon, uh, we opened FTBT Transport, which is a subsidiary of Pioneer Transport, who is our parent company, our corporate office. And um, that was in 2015. And from there, uh, I'm the sole uh, owner now of FTBT Transport and uh, the only agent for Pioneer Transport in the uh, state of Virginia. So what we're trying to do is just uh, increase our fleet of trucks right now, but we are having um, a lot of difficulty in doing that. Why? Barry chalks a lot of it up to difficulties in recruiting retention, a quote-unquote shortage of drivers interested in doing intermodal work out of the Port of Virginia at Hampton Roads. Barry's business leases on owner operators there, and equipment issues and parts shortages have increased the frustration for many in recent times, in addition to other long ongoing frustration at the ports. When they say the supply chain is uh, disrupted, they um... I couldn't agree more. I'll give you an example, and I'm chuckling because I'm thinking of the story that happened yesterday. Um, I was at the parts store, and a lady driver came in, and she asked for a gallon of oil. And the parts uh, service uh, representative, he said that I can sell you the oil, but it can only be in five-gallon jugs because we have no one-gallon jugs of oil right now and which right. sound bizarre to me i remember there was times where you can get that stuff it was just stacked it was pallets full of it right. and his reason he what from what i guess he's being told is that uh there's not any empty gallons the, the bottles that hold the oil are perhaps on these cargo vessels that we see uh mooring off the coast of uh on the east coast and west coast yeah so um that is uh, problematic when we're not start, you know, we're starting to see those effects. I think these, these are the beginning stages of uh, what is going to be a huge disruption in commerce and, you know, as they say, the supply chain. And I don't think regular folks out there who are not in our industry are privy to what's sort of happening behind the scenes, understand the gravity of what this actually means for our nation and perhaps for the world, because this is 
undoubtedly the global supply chain. Yeah. I mean, to explain it to us, like what's, uh, because I, ever since, uh, you know, we, we've been, uh, this, this has been rumbling around here for quite a long time, you know, particularly uh, uh, in, you know, the community that I'm operating in, there's a lot of owner operators, um, you know, all over the country, most of them not working out of the port area, but um, the difficulty sourcing parts uh, has been has been going on all year um, and kind of, and seeming to get worse, um, just, just judging by uh, what I hear from folks. When it comes to the supply supply chain broadly, and people talk about the global supply chain, and you know you've got the president last week who made a big big show of uh, of, of what he uh, thinks uh, should should be it's done. Solution, right, right, right. There is there it probably is no one solution, obviously, no. but um, but since then you see all this like finger pointing, right? Like uh, oh, it's the it's the it's the crane operators, it's the right. it's the truckers who are who right. are. Uh, who are not, uh, you know, not operating efficiently, using the time that yeah. they have available to them. From your perspective, you know, what's happening there in Virginia and, uh, you know, from what you can see in your business and on the ground there, what's happening and, and why is it happening? And, and explain it to us. I mean, you, you alluded to it just there. Like, what is going on behind the scenes that is making this, uh, is causing this backlog? It's a multitude of things. Um, there is, like we said, there's, there's not one solution. There's no one silver bullet, as I heard uh, another gentleman state on another um, episode or another show. Um, so let's look at the state of Virginia. Um, we all know after the pandemic, we were hearing from all these economists and said that it's a V-shaped economy. Perhaps it won't be a U-shaped uh, or be a W shape. You hear all the different alphabets going about it. I can definitely tell you it feels like a V shaped economy um, in terms of how we bounce back. We took that quick nosedive down last year, uh, 2020, maybe around that March, April, springtime. Right. And now, as things are, uh, the demand is, is re emerging. Um, suppliers, customers, they're quickly trying to re restock uh their their merchandise um so right now you know we have a lot of volume of cargo flowing through our port we have the third largest port in the east coast and we're we're gaining traction to be number two and hopefully the, the goal is to become number one the port of virginia really got ahead of a lot of uh the infrastructure needs uh, to match the size vessels that have increased and the amount of freight that is being put on these mega vessels that are coming in, in the way of increasing their stacking comp capacity, being right. able to open up more storage uh, availability for these con large container vessels. On top of that, they uh, got some of, they received some of the largest, uh, I think maybe the tallest ship to shore cranes uh, that they have in the industry here at the Port of Virginia, where I think no other port can really say that. We also uh, widened and deepened our uh, channels through the Chesapeake Bay so we can receive some of those larger vessels. We did that all in preparedness of these mega vessels coming in and the need for uh, more storage capacity for shipping containers. So what a lot of folks don't realize is that 
these themeship lines, which you may see CMA, uh, Evergreen, Haypeg, Lloyd, whatever the case, Maersk, uh, they are allowed so many days to be able to store their containers on the port for free. I think it's typically around maybe four, four or five days thing is the typical number. So a lot of these containers are being stacked up on the port. So folks have to understand just because that 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 vessel is offloaded and, and that freight comes off doesn't mean that freight is leaving immediately out of the port. A lot of times that freight is just is sitting there for a trucker to be able to come in. So you've got so many days and a lot of times the brokers request that you do not remove that freight until what they call the last free day. Huh. So that puts a lot of pressure on that car, on that uh, motor carrier to realize, okay, it's last free day. I have to get that container out. And then we have to be able to store it till, it, till the warehouse is able to receive it. Another issue we're having is what we call the chassis shortage. The chassis is the frame for those that don't know that the container sits on uh, when it leaves out the uh, port. That's how we're able to transport it, is on yeah. a chassis. Well, there is a chassis shortage. Why is there a chassis shortage? Because we do have a lot of what we call the big box carriers, like Walmart and Target, for instance, we call those big box stores. They, um, what they are doing are, they're, they're having this freight come in and then they're asking it to be stored. And so what do we have to store it on? We have to store it on these chassis after the last three days of the quarter expired. So they've, uh, what you may have hear may have heard on excuse me on um any news outlets is that some of these big box stores have even uh chartered their own vessels they are having their own equipment uh after here there's walmart containers now with the name walmart on the side that's usually hadn't been the case they would usually you know lease these from the steamship lines now they're creating their own shipping containers so we have all this happening and uh this puts the driver at a disadvantage because when you do have a driver that's available to go there may not be a chassis because a lot of those big box companies have these containers stored on chassis and so there is no available so sometimes drivers are waiting two hours i've heard just to get a chassis and then then they have to go to the port and where they may be an extended amount of time there for the machinery to deliver the containers and right, uh, right. Uh, Virginia International Gateway, they did expand their port double the capacity uh, okay. in the last uh, few years here, maybe the last seven years or so. So, uh, but we still have some of those older cranes and a lot of times we see those cranes that deliver the, the cargo to the driver is, uh, it, it's at a disadvantage because they don't seem to be as efficient. In reality, they are working 24-7, these cranes. They're, right. they're, even when the driver gates are closed, these cranes are still operating. They're what they call grooming the stacks. In other yeah. words, they're moving freight to the front uh, so that when the drivers come in in the morning, it's it's a shorter distance that the cranes have to travel to be able to put the, the freight on the, uh, on the truck driver. Right. Uh, then we have various uh, rail, uh, stacks that are being occupied just by rail uh, containers. So we have the dual operation going on 
uh, will actually triple because a lot of times they have to reload those vessels as well, sometimes with empty containers or any exports that go out. So you have a, a vessel operation going, you have a rail operation going, and you have a truck side operation going, and sometimes a barge, but the barge is not used as frequent, you know, as much as a smaller percentage of barge freight. Right. But you have all these different operations happening on, on the port simultaneously. So this can definitely uh, make it's a big challenge. It's Combined just, with clearly like we've got, like, like you said, the V-shaped recovery, we're, yeah. we're, we're, it's, it's all of it is increasing at a, at a rate that, that we don't, that none of, none of us ever see, right? This is like a, this is a new uh, a sort of volume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And you can add to those compounding issues, long declining interest in intermodal work around ports, given historically depressed rates and barriers to earning opportunity there for a truck owner. There's been a lot of restrictions on drivers throughout the years. Um, uh, certain companies, your driver can only be 21 and older. Yeah. Sometimes the driver has to have a couple years of experience before they do any of this line of work. Um, and they have to have a pretty perfect driving score. Uh, so all those things coupled together makes your pool of candidates smaller. On top of that, the driver pay decades before, I mean, I mean, even last couple of decades had been significantly low. Uh, the drivers were not seeming to get the revenue that they felt was adequately, uh, uh, needed to keep their operations, right. their trucking operation going, as well as feeding their families. So we can, we always got to remember that as business owners, we receive the money, but we also got to split that between our truck business and our home life, and making sure all that stuff gets uh, right. taken care of. So the driver pay was significantly low. Um, so I think with those, those sort of, uh, issues happening together and then you have the newer generation who just i feel just don't have a desire to do those labor intensive jobs anymore i always tell folks i think those young people are into becoming uh TikTok users uh youtube influencers and instagram models and drone operators gamers <laughs> it amazes me these young people watch other people play video games uh they're into more technological occupations things to deal with a computer or whatever the case may be so driving a truck taking on you know jones and sons trucking company is really not their uh their desire anymore we're not trucking is not as appealing to young folks as maybe it was for my generation yeah, so mar marrying those two things is possible however um you know, we've, we've got plenty of examples of, of uh, you know, TikTok influencers, quote unquote, uh, who are owner operators out there running trucks. And right, right. But anyway, well, we just don't want them on TikTok while they drive it. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a very lucrative career, especially right now with the shortage and demand that's needed for poor drivers. Uh, you see bonuses out right. here all the time, $1,000 to $5,000 sign-on bonuses and things of that nature. So there's really a big push to get um, port drivers or eligible drivers. Yeah, when when it comes to when it comes to like the intermodal work that uh, 
that you do through Pioneer and that you do with your own with your own truck. Right. Um, you know what what is it? Uh, what's the earning potential there? Has it increased um, in recent years? Um, I, you, you, I know, we're very familiar with how like compensation has tracked over the years for for owner operators that are in more over the road and and or regional type operations. But uh, when it comes to that kind of that more local sort of you know inner regional kind of intermodal stuff like what's the, what's the what's the earning opportunity there what 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 does revenue for an owner operator look like over the course of a year doing that sort of work out in virginia so typically owner operators grossing about 100k a year okay. uh, that's owner operators okay. and um that's uh, again that's without fuel any mechanical yeah, right, issues right. things of that nature uh but i think that earning potential has has risen at least by 50k on top of that right now this is a great earning season right now uh i've told uh the audience on our four truckers five truckers facebook page the same thing that this is the time to get into trucking or do trucking or uh get with a company whose rates are rising with the current market um right now there is an influx of, of um potential revenue yeah. So I don't think this, you know, drivers, potential drivers should sleep on this opportunity. I think this is the time to hop on there. And uh, and the, the, it's mostly through mileage. Um, some companies probably still play, pay a flat rate and uh, not too many pay hourly unless you're a company driver. So um, the work you're doing, the work that you're doing. You mean, right, yeah. we should do a percentage-based um, okay. off-the-line haul, and um, I also tell them get with a company that's transparent. Find a, a company that will say, "Hey, look, I don't mind explain to you how we get to these figures." Because drivers oftentimes ask, "Well, if it's 72, 75 percent of the line haul, what does that actually mean?" Yeah. You know, can we actually see the real, you know, numbers? And if you're not with a company who's willing to do that, then you may want to reconsider where you're at. Um, that's my personal advice. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, um, it's it's a competitive market. So we have to stay within a certain range in terms of our rates. Um, not saying that we're looking to gouge customers or whatever the case may be, but look, the driver's rates have been so low for so long. We're wondering why you know, we can't attract more drivers or, or retain drivers because we dealt with these port congestion issues in the past. When we and drivers were left to be the um, stool pigeons in that in that sense. Um, and uh, we were the guinea pigs, basically, while this whole infrastructure construction thing was happening. Uh, you know, just as well as I know, anytime you go through a construction zone, the, the speed is slower and uh, the the, the ter terrain is a little rougher. Yeah. It's the same thing when you do an infrastructure upgrade on the port on on, on ports. Uh, there's drivers are going to feel the burden of you know the sort of that ongoing uh, yeah. delays getting in and out and yeah, yeah. everything else. Yeah. Development is challenges, so we we had to endure that. So with all that taking place. Um, now that things are, you know, built up, we're ready to go. I mean, drivers really want to make that revenue that, that they duly deserve and have earned over these decades of low wages. Give, give me a, um, a picture of, um, you know, what it looks like down there at you, at you guys port, um, in terms of, um, 
the back the backups that we're seeing today uh is it is it visible is it uh do you look out there and you see the ships just sitting out there waiting in uh are, are the stacks a lot higher on the port itself like what does it look like so i think the port of virginia again has done a fairly good job of uh getting ahead of a lot of this so okay. uh, we're not seeing the, the vessels that are out uh on the waterways um I think they're kept further out in the channel before it's time to bring them in. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I would say that we do see the, the stacks higher. Um, the, the Port of Virginia instituted this appointment system, reservation system, what have you, uh, over the last few years. And I think that's found a way to um, mitigate or somehow reduce the amount of trucks coming into the port at one specific time because before the reservation system if you had over the road drivers they would come in in the morning along with everybody else and then you knew they were coming in at noon because they were just getting back from their return trip so the ports would be highly congested around that time so the port has found the system to be able to control the amount of trucks coming into the port at any given time. So sometimes that works as an advantage, sometimes it's a disadvantage. Some folks like it, some people hate it. You know, yeah. it depends on who you ask in this area. You think it's overall been uh, a good thing though, in terms of uh, just kind of spreading, spreading the traffic out there? It works well when you can keep the turn times down. Yeah. So if you are only allowing 200 trucks in at that hour, then you should be able to serve those 200 trucks a lot more efficient, efficiently than you would have if you had no control over the amount of trucks coming in. Now that you have that number, you know how many are set to you to, that you're going to receive within that time. You need to have the adequate labor that's going to ramp up production it has to move more efficiently i think there needs to be more oversight on the labor how do we know that they're not goofing off or whatever the case may be when they're operating these this equipment that is remote those cranes do not have human beings in there right, they wow. are remotely controlled in a building um and we can't see what that what was happening on the other side as a port driver you may be sitting there on the on the uh on, on on the wait pad basically where you wait for your container to come over and sat down but sometimes that container is just sitting there dangling over your chassis and you're wondering well, what in the world is going on right right uh, so i also tell i've also spoken to the port recently in a, a port productivity meeting we have uh where I sit on as the driver representative and ask that they uh, do an audit on the equipment that they have out on the port. I feel as though this is a million billion dollar state-of-the-art of, uh, uh, port, then the technology needs to stay up with that. We need to have uh, phones that we can reach the uh, the labor to let them know if we have a situation. Sure. Uh, they, you know, damaged phones and things where we can't even reach somebody is 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 um it's unhelpful. Uh, we also have to have other instruments there that are helpful for the poor driver. They have to be functioning. They cannot remain inoperable for long periods of time. We need to have a better system. Even when drivers get into the port, 
oftentimes they're put into a queue situation, uh, more specifically Virginia International Gateway, where drivers had to get out of their trucks and go to find, to go to each truck in that queue to find out who was last so you can find your place in line. Huh. It's a very, it's a very nerve wracking system that has not changed. They may have increased the amount of uh, stacks that they have. They've increased their uh, interchange lines. But once you get in there, that design is still flawed and it still creates frustration amongst the drivers, even to the point where it's been physical altercations. And the port has not has not addressed that well in my in my view. And while those challenges all do exist at the Port of Virginia, George Berry said they're not to the level of congestion and frustration being experienced out west in California that we've all heard about these past several weeks. In addition to many of the same issues he detailed in Virginia, a big part of California's challenges, in his view, goes straight back to the California Air Resources Board's drayage and wider truck rule restricting port operators to run only newer model year vehicles. Those restrictions were put in place on pre-2007 emission spec engines serving the ports well before trucks running in the rest of the state, furthermore. I can speak a little bit about California. I'm a California kid myself. Oh, but are, I, okay. I can also see why they've sort of got, they've sort of built this uh, disaster chamber on their own. I know that you can't have, you cannot drive a truck. Uh, I believe it's under 2011 in the state of California. Now you've limit the amount of trucks, uh, year models that a driver can purchase. Now, you know, folks, some of the drivers can't afford those newer trucks. Right. And then on top of that, then, you know, you can't really drive. Most of these drivers are driving at night uh, in the port of uh, Long Beach in Los Angeles uh, because you really can't work during the day. When the president announced 24-hour operation, well, those drivers are stuck in. Have you ever been in L.A. traffic before? So those drivers really don't care to work during the day because of the traffic yeah. issues that you know California is facing. A lot of times those drivers aren't able to go into HOV lanes and things of that nature. We're prohibited from doing that. And then you have union workers and they have sort of a certain master uh, contract. They're, they're only able to work so many hours and do but so much work. So when you know the countries went to these labor forces that are unionized, and I'm not here to bash unions at all. There are certain guidelines that, you know, they these ports have, these private ports are, have, have to, or state ports have to adhere by. So it, you have a combination of a lot of issues, including the chassis shortage. So some of these parts for the chassis are on those vessels that are, you know, out there in the Pacific Ocean. So, so they've kind of created this conundrum in my opinion, uh, on their own. And they're going to, when they say, you, you you know, you make it, you're going to sit in it and stew. And that's basically what's going to happen with Los Angeles Long Beach. So uh, all the news reports about folks going out there and, you know, getting their Christmas and holiday shopping in early, I still, I strongly suggest that. Um, the warning signs are out there. Other factors in his home state of Virginia aren't helping much and could bring issues to his doorstep, he said. We're probably running into the same situations here. A lot of drivers, the DMV has been backed up ridiculous out here. I know one guy, he's been waiting 
for over a month to just get a registration for his truck. I waited a month to get a registration for my truck. Yeah, I heard that, that from some other folks in Virginia, actually. DMV, yeah. my goodness, yeah. they have to revamp that system entirely. Customer service is at the bottom of the totem pole. Right. It's never been worse, right? <laughs> it's never been worse, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. And uh, so we need to see more uh, more help on that end so we can even the drivers that are ready to drive can drive and modal at its finest. <laughs> 2021 to 2022, we'll see. It's going to take a while for us to kind of swim out of this, I believe. So I think yeah. maybe, maybe by next summer, we'll be seeing a little bit of declaring. It doesn't sound like... Uh... Doesn't sound like you guys are dealing with a um, uh, situation quite as um, dramatic as as that on the West Coast, though. Eh? No. No, no. Yeah, no, thank goodness. So, that's uh, that's Container Central, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Totally. But I think everything, as as we know, everything moves from the West comes to the East. Yeah, right, right. Wow, it's like the weather pattern. Every everything that happens over there comes this way eventually. So I know Charleston talked about uh, putting in some emissions, um, uh, some truck model year cutoffs. I don't think that yeah. they did. They did. Well, they same talked thing about with Virginia. It. Virginia talked same about it too. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, I my last truck was purchased through the government Go Green program. Okay. Where they gave me, I uh, think, an estimated twenty thousand dollars towards the purchase of a new truck, as long as I salvaged my older truck right. um, to get it. You know, and we also thought that there would be more benefits for owner operators that had these uh, emissions certified trucks. Right. You know, we would gain an advantage in the ports, but that never came to fruition. Uh, what kind of advantage you were thinking? You you might get some kind of. Uh... Like dedicated lanes, yeah, maybe yeah. something like that. that. Uh, some preferential treatment for you know being able to you know have these sort of uh, these these trucks that you know are more um, eco friendly in the yeah. ports of Virginia. But and that's your 2009 you're talking about there. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a long time ago when you. <clears> yes, down, yeah, right? I bought it in 2012, so yeah. this was along that time where we thought we'd be gaining some sort of advantage uh in the ports uh in our area but nothing really i, I guess it was a lot of smoke <laughs> right smoke and mirrors at the time so yeah. i haven't really seen that right. transpire how many owner operators are you working with there and uh, how often are you actually getting in your truck and and, and doing that yourself right so i have a small fleet of about five or so trucks okay and um you know, it's, it, you know, it depends on when, you know, when you have a situation where your drivers are going down or they're taking, you know, a leave of absence or whatever the case may be, I may be thrust to get into the truck and uh, sort of uh, hold down the port as, as you will. And um, that, that happens periodically. So we're in that situation right now where, you know, I may have to take a load tomorrow to Martinsville, uh, Virginia. Another one to see for Delaware on Friday, just because we, I have a, I have two full-time staff members that I did not put on furlough. I did not lay off. I did not shorten their hours throughout the entire pandemic. Right. So I want to continue to be able to give them that benefit of staying employed uh, as we weather the storm of getting, you know, hopefully some potential more drivers on and we can increase our fleet. 
Uh, is that the biggest that uh, you've been in terms of the in terms of the fleet there, or uh, have you gone up and down over the years? Yeah, it's really been sort of like a roller coaster for us. Um, we we've been up to anywhere from nine to ten drivers at a time, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes when you deal with staffing changes, yeah. things of that nature, you sort of deal with it. They uh, it can kind of go up and down when drivers are just trying to be in the best position for themselves as well. So. Yeah, you know, we, it, it has been a roller coaster for us. Uh, I think that's how business is generally with most folks. Is it's never going straight up, <laughs> right? Right. So it's almost like stock market. You never know. Right. They might crash. You can go into. A, I'm in a bearish season right now for all my stock investors out there. That's that. That's that stock talk right there. <laughs> I'm in a bearish season right now. <laughs> um. And it's uh you know it's it's not uh it's not purely local work but it's uh, it's pretty close um what you guys do uh, and you know so drivers are getting uh, owner operators in your at least your company are, are probably getting home every night or, or close to it anyways right right that's yeah. ideal that's yeah. do, but you know some of these warehouses are dealing with with staffing shortages as well labor shortages and uh that's what <clears throat> has sort of, uh, you know, sometimes keeps drivers even longer at these distribution centers. And uh, a lot of times companies now are going to from, it used to be a two hour um, uh, market range in terms of uh, detention. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when the driver stays there at the facility. Now that's dropping down to one hour free. Uh, for a lot of these facilities versus the two hours they were granted before. Right. Uh, just because the drivers don't want to be sitting there, uh, you know, sure. for, you know, periods of time. Well, that's a good, right. I mean, uh, I guess uh, anything to sort of hurry, hurry folks along, give them a, give them the right, yeah. right kind of incentive, I guess. <laughs> right, right, right. You know? Drivers feel that if I'm on duty, I should be getting paid. There's no occupation I know out there where you're on duty. For yep. two hours and you didn't get a dime you know most times you're sitting somewhere what are you still getting paid because you're on duty and i feel that 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 should change in this industry should be a zero detention free time you should get paid for every moment that you're 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 working you're there what's you the know? typical rate for that um that you see from uh folks you guys are delivering to uh, i think anywhere uh you see companies for anywhere right now, presently, I would say anywhere from maybe uh, $50 to $100. Right. Is the hourly pay for um, detention. Yep. So to the truck, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. That sounds, that sounds in line with, um, you know, what I've heard from others and kind of tried to calculate is kind of, kind of fair compensation, you know, for time lost, right? For income right. lost. Exactly. Where can, where can folks find you, George? Is it's, it's over at the Facebook page for Four Truckers by Truckers? Four Truckers by Truckers on Facebook. Uh, they can also find me on LinkedIn, just George Berry. Uh, yeah. Only this guy with this smile. That's me. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, or you can find us at Pioneer Transport BA on Instagram, Pioneer Transport BA on Facebook, and our website, www.pioneertransportba.com. Here's a big thanks to small fleet owner operator George Berry for his time. You can find Overdrive's Niche Halls series reporting from a couple weeks back via overdriveonline.com slash tag slash niche, N-I-C-H-E, 
niche-halls, or look for a link in the show notes for this podcast. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra contributing writer Paul Marhofer, Overdrive news editor Matt Cole, social media coordinator Holly Young, and executive editor Alex Lockie. When they say you, you you know you make it, you're gonna sit in it, you stew, and that's basically what's gonna happen with Los Angeles Long Beach. So till next time, keep it pro out there.